Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, uh, we want to welcome all the new listeners to this show. We want to welcome everybody who's listening again. We thank you for coming back. Before we get into the show and explain what we're going to talk about this week, let the listeners know why they should be listening to Politically Entertaining every week. As Frank said, I want to welcome you all. Thank you again for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We do this for you. Frank and I, we try to break down news and uh, politics that are uh, covered in the mainstream media. Every once in a while, we try to pick up a story that isn't covered and bring it to you. Each story, we try to break it down to you, uh, you know, for those that don't that, that are not political nerds and don't watch, you know, the CNNs and Fox News every single day. We try to bring it to you once a week, let you know what's going on and what you should be paying attention to. Uh, we're going to talk uh, Michael Jordan today, Henrietta Lacks. We have Sam Bogan joining us today. But before we get into that, Frank, you and I, we uh, we broke down and, and railed against that Pepsi ad a couple of episodes ago. And I called that poor girl. Uh, I think I called her Kyrie or Kylie Jenner. And it's actually Kendall Jenner. Uh, it shows you how much I know about the Kardashian clan. Uh, I don't hate them like some of you guys do. Some of you guys hate the Kardashians, but I don't know much about them. I just knew one of them win the commercial. Anyway, that Pepsi ad was universally received poorly. And co- here comes along this Heineken ad that's pretty much, from what I can tell, just online only. I don't think it's been on TV. And it's people have dubbed it sort of like the response to the Pepsi ad. I don't know if that's what Heineken meant for it to be. If you haven't watched the ad, here's how it goes. There are about three or four sets of uh, two people who are complete strangers. At the beginning, they give like this bio on what they like and what what they don't like as far as politics. You have the guy that doesn't like transgenders and you have the the feminists and, and the guy that believes in global warming and so forth. And so they had these two strangers meet. And they have to put together this bar and these stools or whatever and follow these directions. And they have a discussion and get to know one another. And at the end, they show what each one said before meeting one another on this big screen. And the directions tell them, you know, once they watch, you know, what the other person has said. So you would have the guy that said he didn't like transgender. His straight, the stranger that helped him put the, the bar together was a transgender. So the directions tell them now you can discuss your differences over a bottle of beer or you can go your separate ways. Well, these people have already gotten to know one another first. And so they all elected to have the beer and get to know one another and, you know, just discuss their differences in a in an adult manner. I liked it. Uh, I know it got some mixed reactions. I think most people like this ad. I did see some, you know, negative, like one person complained that it didn't address racism. Have you watched the ad and what were your thoughts on this Heineken ad, the so-called response to the Pepsi commercial? I thought it was a very good ad and it, it, it was it was really genuine because I think it's, it's the antithesis of what social media is or maybe the Pepsi ad is, which is. We want to we want to have a self a quick gratification of our thoughts and our views. We want it liked. We want it retweeted. We want it, you know, commented on in a positive way. And when somebody comes in and says something we don't agree with, we generally uh, ferret them out very negatively. And so what this thing did was the reverse, which is you got to work with somebody, put something together, and then you know you're like, okay, this guy's okay. And then you hear this statement, and you're like, well, wait, I just worked with this guy for like a few hours. 
maybe it's out of context. Maybe I need to understand where, why they're saying it, how they're saying it. And so I, I think that certainly it doesn't address every issue. It didn't necessarily address racism because I, I, and I'm kind of glad it didn't try to address racism because sometimes that's a such a big topic to try to winnow into people's already discriminatory practices that it's it's such an overarching institutional thing. It's hard. You don't want it. I'm glad it didn't it, it, um, deal with racism from this standpoint. Racism is not as like to. I'm gonna get out, get out off topic a little bit, but Adam Jones dealt with people, what people call racism. But I mean, that's more of ignorant people saying racist slurs, which is not the same thing as to me racism and the problem of racism as it plagues the country today. So what I'm saying by this commercial is it basically is exploring biases. And if you meet somebody who you think you're biased against and you get to know them before you understand who they are, or, or, or before you hear about who they are, then you might accept them a little bit better. I think that's important because I think that while we look at groups of people and we say this group does this, this group does that, there's one, there's always one person, you know, individually that if we got to know one person on the other side of where we think it could make a difference. And I think that's what this commercial is. It's not saying that a Heineken and building a bar is going to fix every problem in the world. That's that's not what it's saying. It's saying that you take the time to get to know somebody. You might not be as offended as if you're looking on their Facebook post and then trying to respond and then you're going back and forth in the in the Twitter verse or the Facebook uh, walls. So it was a good commercial. It was, it was genuine. And, and that's what I like about it. It felt genuine. It wasn't staged like the Pepsi commercial, which was, I mean, we don't want to go over that again. But it was a great commercial. I definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, man, I agree, man. I, I think uh, pretty much... I agree with what you said, that it's not saying that Heineken is the solution to these problems, but I think it's more or less saying that there's more that unite unite us than it is that divide us and that, uh, you know, it's OK to have differences and to discuss them. And Heineken is just one of the one of the characters in the ad that they're uh, discussing the differences while drinking this Heineken. But it was pretty good. It definitely was brave, especially after the backlash Pepsi received. So. And I applaud their efforts for that. Uh, anyway, with that said, let's do what we like to do, man. Let's get into some politics. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, Frank Mary. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram. We're on Politically Entertaining. We're also on uh, Twitter at The Vocal Minority. That's D A V O C A L Minority. And as always, we ask you to subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, as well as Google Play. Uh, so podcast on Google Play. Frank, Congress was pretty busy this past week, man. Uh, they passed their version of health care. They also passed the budget to avoid the shutdown. There were members on the floor saying, nah, 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 nah. Hey, 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 hey. Goodbye. Republican members were, I guess, happy to uh, 
finally so-called get rid of Obamacare and pass 217 to 213. Uh, but is it really gone? Because it now heads to the Senate, Frank. And for those of you that don't know, there's kind of like an inner beef within Congress between the House and the Senate. So the House doesn't like for the Senate to tell them what to do, and the Senate doesn't like for the House to tell them what to do. So the House passed their version of health care. That doesn't mean that the Senate isn't going to put their fingerprints on it or come up with their completely different uh, version of health care to pass. And then the two sides will have to come together and see what they agree on in order to pass one bill that eventually makes it to the president's desk. Uh, but my question for you is, and the main, before I throw this question to you, the main thing that isn't included in this health care are, are pre-existing conditions, right? I thought that was one of the few things that Republicans liked in Obamacare when they tried to name something they liked. They didn't include it. And things such as sexual assault, uh, C-sections, those, those are those are considered pre-existing conditions that are not covered under this current health care bill. So what are your thoughts on GOP health care and do you see it passing the Senate in its current version? So I'm going to give you that. The real answer is no, I don't think there's any way that it passes in this current version. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, we have seen stranger things happen, okay? Because if I told you last year that the Cavaliers are coming 3-1 down against the Golden State Warriors, that the Chicago Cubs are coming 3-1 down against the Cleveland Indians, and Donald Trump win the presidency all in the same year, you would have, <laughs> you, would, you would not have gone for that. If I had given you a, I said, hey, a straight bet, $100 that all this happens or $100 that don't, everybody's going to take the fact that it doesn't happen. Right. But, but realistically, I don't see it passing its current form because there's so many holes in it from a standpoint, of, as you mentioned, presenting conditions. And I think that the one thing that the bill is actually doing is it's actually uniting people across party lines because saying sexual assault is a pre-existing condition or C-section. That's not something that's very that's not a partisan thing. Everybody has children. Um whether or not you feel like you're a conservative, a moderate, or a, a liberal, whatever you, whatever your flavor of uh, political uh, persuasion is, and everybody knows once you get in the delivery room, a C-section could be an option. You know, you could be a woman. You know, certainly a woman could be planning for a natural birth, and all of a sudden she has to have a C-section. There's a problem with the baby, or maybe something uh, else happens. But the but the point is to make those things a negative against a woman um, is, is is gonna is to me it's gonna be hard for to imagine that. Getting, getting through and passing, um, but it, it's still disheartening that that could even be passed and even be looked at and, and be in a position where it could even be into law. And I think that, you know, for those people that voted for you know, Donald Trump and that kind of thing, I think it's time to take a look at yourself and ask what you really, is this what you really wanted? You know, did you want to suffer? Are you happy suffering? And just as long as you know that everybody else maybe that other minorities are suffering too is that all you wanted because i mean i guess if that's the case then you're happy with that very low bar but my question would be like are you really happy with this is this really what you thought about when you thought about draining the swamp and america first it seems like you know the states affect most affected by this new health care bill are actually in the rust belt and bible belt which were strongholds for donald trump on his way to the presidency Two seventeen to thirteen is a very very slim margin. When you think about the fact that the Republicans have the majority in the House, there are not two hundred and thirteen Democratic members of the House, so there are some Republicans that voted against this. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. 
to me, it just comes across as they were desperate to give this administration a victory of some sorts. So they just had to pass something. Uh, it's been heavily reported that most of the members didn't even read the bill. Now, I always like to try to be fair because I see a lot of my Democratic friends like mentioning that point a lot. It's important to remember when the, when the Democrats passed it in 2009, they didn't read the bill either. And Nancy Pelosi is on record of saying, you know, just pass and find out what's in it later. So that goes both ways. You'll be amazed at how many bills these members actually don't read and how some of them don't even know what they're voting on. They just know how to vote once they go to the floor. So it's 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 crazy. And it's definitely something Frank and I will be keeping our eye on. I say it with politics, but uh, I guess speaking of a non-politician, Frank, Michael Jordan, uh, he's, you know, he's received a lot of criticism over the years. Six time world champion with the Chicago Bulls, current owner with, of the Charlotte Hornets. Um, ever since he came out and said, you know, Republicans buy shoes to, you know, Mike, he never really spoke out on any type of injustices. Or, you know, he stayed out of the political fray. He didn't give an opinion one way or the other on anything of uh, significance. So he's gotten a lot of criticism for that as time has passed. Um, there's an article that came out, I guess, about two weeks ago uh, titled Jordan didn't speak out because he didn't know what to say. And that's basically with uh, it's, it's an interview with Craig Hodges that was on the 91 and 92 Chicago Championship uh, Bulls teams. And basically, I found it fascinating, Frank. Craig wanted uh, before the 91 finals between the Bulls and the Lakers. Jordan was like the biggest star in the game. Magic Johnson is one of the biggest stars. Uh, the Rodney King beating had was fresh in everybody's mind. It had just aired. And Craig Hodges wanted them to boycott game one of the NBA finals. I want everyone to think about that for a second. The NBA finals with the sports biggest, the two biggest stars, Jordan, Magic Johnson, boycotting the entire uh, game one of the NBA finals. I just that alone made me say, wow, what what if that had have happened? Uh, Craig Hodges is reported as saying that Jordan said, man, you're crazy. Magic Johnson told him, I think that's a little bit too extreme. Uh, but basically, Craig Hodges is saying that he's not mad at Jordan uh, because he felt like Jordan didn't know what to say. And many of the athletes during that time didn't know what to say. Uh, and he was blackballed because of his beliefs. He boycotted the White House visit uh, because of the bombing in Iraq that H.W. Bush had done. It's a great article. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And my question to you is. By Craig Hodges saying that, hey, you know, Jordan didn't really know what to say. He didn't know how to handle these type of issues for critics. Do you think that will let MJ off the hook somewhat? No, MJ, MJ is not getting off the hook for his lack of social stance any more than LeBron's getting off the hook for his choking in the 2011 finals. So, you know, it's one of those kind of things. You, gonna you, didn't, you didn't have to mention that. You didn't have to mention that. <laughs> I, I like LeBron, by the way. I just, I just wanted, to, I wanted to give a very. That still hurts, man. Yeah, I mean, sorry to bring up old wounds, but I mean that's how that's how much it. You know, I don't want to dovetail into LeBron because he had nothing to do with this. But what I'm saying is people always, when they say, when you say, oh, LeBron, is he approaching Ghost? That's like, oh, the 2011 finals. It never should have happened, blah, blah, blah. But to me, when you talk about Jordan socially, his lack of uh, speaking out in, in the 90s during these racial incidents, certainly like a Rodney King, 
uh, incident, especially the riots uh, in L.A. not saying anything. Uh, to me, he was the biggest one of the things that Craig Hodges put. I mean, Craig Hodges had a lot of respect for Michael Jordan. That's the thing people understand is he respected him because he wanted him. And he said, you have the voice. You are the most popular person on the planet. If you say something, you can move heaven and earth. Now is the time to do that. And Jordan, as, as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said, chose commerce over conscience. And no, Jordan will never live that down. He will never. And, and, and it's not even as if he's trying, in my opinion, like really, really hard now to be socially active. I mean, he made a statement like a while back about, um, I think, the Dallas police shooting and how he thought it was wrong, and he saw the vic- both victims of both sides' viewpoints, and he donated a million dollars to both sides. It's like, oh my God, how, you know, what a way to take a stand, Mike. Um, so, you know, to me, Michael Jordan, whatever he did after 1998 is irrelevant to me because it's just like he was a great, great basketball player, probably the greatest that I've ever seen, but... You know, when it comes to being socially conscious, I don't think there's I, I, he, he doesn't have a way back because he doesn't ever want to be involved. And in I'm not saying he's not doing maybe a little bit better, different things now. I know Craig Collins did mention that he is doing some other things, but he'll never be seen as a socially conscious hero of the black community, nor should he be. Because when he was in his prime and had his time to make a stance, this kind of stance you're seeing Dwayne Wade, uh, Chris Paul, LeBron James and to a lesser extent, Carmelo Anthony make when they're in their basketball primes, he missed his opportunity to do that. So, you know, let's let's just, you know, um, take it for what it is. It's a great article. It also has a great insight into George W. Bush, how he re- how he reacted to Craig Hodges and the Sheiky, how he was so out of touch that he didn't understand that uh, the Sheiky obviously is a cultural garb and you don't have to be. Uh, a native African to wear one, but George Bush thought that Craig Hodges was from some foreign country and spoke to him as as he quotes very slowly, as if he didn't understand English. So it was that was that was a very almost comical thing, and, and it kind of that kind of comedy kind of punctuated some of uh, W's finest moments, as you know the fool me once, never fool me again type of thing. So just interesting article a, a great view on michael jordan who was a great basketball player but maybe not so great uh, a social activist so I, yeah I, I kind of agree with what you said man uh but my thing is i guess what i'm what i'm asking is if if michael jordan didn't know what to say did we really want him to speak and i think we as critics have to be honest with ourselves that it's not so much that we wanted michael jordan to speak we wanted him to agree with us and if he wasn't going to agree with us, then it's probably best that he didn't speak. But great article. Again, uh, Jordan didn't speak out because he didn't know what to say. Check it out. You can Google it. It's uh, an interview with Craig Hodges. Uh, and it's quite enjoyable. You'll like it. Uh, we're going to have Sam Bogan coming up. Uh, we ask that you subscribe. Once again, we're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, uh, Google Play as well on our podcast. And we also have our YouTube channel that we put some of our interviews on, Politically Entertaining. Check that out. Let's talk to Entertaining Money, Sam Bogan. Listen up. It's time for a Politically Entertaining exclusive interview. He is the host of Entertaining Money, a podcast that you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, all type of uh, podcast formats. We had him on last season, and he joins us again. Sam Bogan, what's going on, bro? 
Hey, what's going on, fellas? Not too much, man. We gonna see if you can give us some more of that good financial advice, man. Um, as I mentioned, we had you on last season. Talked about several different things. Uh, the first thing I wanted to come at you with was I've been listening to some of your uh, podcast episodes, and one of the episodes that stood out in particular was uh, "School Trains You to Be Poor." That episode. And my question to you is, if you had the ear of the education department, what would Sam tell them that they should be teaching or what should they be reading? I assume would a book like Rich Dad, Poor Dad be part of a part of the curriculum in our schools today? What should schools be teaching us so that they're no longer training us to be poor, as you say? Well, honestly, Byron, it's like. We're so far into this hole with um, nearing the collapse of this current system to where it really is a situation of preparation for the transition, meaning that you're going to have to be in the right asset in order to protect your the wealth that you do have and hope to accumulate more so that you'll be able to, you know, sustain what's about to happen. It's just that bad. So, I mean, that's really a great question, but it's like, man, you know, it's kind of too late to be honest with you. Okay. All right, so you, me to be so in di- other words. Give me to be so dire. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, man, that's, that's kind of, it's, it's too late. It, it's too, the way the system is set up, it is almost impossible to do is what you're saying. Pretty much. Gotcha. So I mentioned I listened to your podcast and I know you remember Dame Dash being on the Breakfast Club a couple of years ago and he ruffled Absolutely. a lot of people's feathers when uh you know when he mentioned that pretty much you should never be in a position where you're calling another person boss. You need to aspire to be your own boss, to be an entrepreneur, you know, like working I I, I wanna say he said working is for losers or something like that. Uh, you, you, you certainly don't put it in those words, but I assume you agree with what he said. How would you word it so that the message would reach more people? Because I think he lost a lot of people with how he said it and how he worded it and it turned a lot of people off. So my question to you is, do you agree with what he said? And if you do, how would you word it differently for our listeners so that they would be more receptive to that line of thinking? Definitely. You know, what's crazy. I was actually thinking about the interview earlier today. And I remember from way back when I was trying to chop it up and actually come to a conclusion on what I thought about things. What I came away with is if you look at his statement on the whole spectrum of on one side being total employee and on the other side being total boss. Well, he was on the spectrum of total boss, apparently, but that's like a, an, a very extreme situation. And the average person can't achieve that. And what I took away was, if you are an employee, the ultimate thing is, is to also get education to where you can become an investor as well. So it's like you want to own assets to supplement the shortage the shortage is rather from your, your wages. So it was a very extreme statement and most people don't have that type of grind to go out and, and to chase it like that. So that's how I saw it. 
so Sam, I'm gonna jump back in, and, and I don't want to give you a hard time on your first answer, but I want a little bit of clarification. I know you said uh, Byron said, "Hey, how would you, if you had the ear of the education department, which considering who's in the education department, what that would mean?" But assuming that we had a um, reasonable education uh, secretary. You said it's too late. Now, I, I see what you're saying it's too late for the based on the current economic system, but you know, things ebb and flow. So what would what would what would be, I guess, in my opinion, like so you're telling me that right now there's no way forward for people to be educated in the future. Yes, I understand there may be a crash coming or, or bad things may happen, people may not be able to stay save themselves, but how can we repeat this from happening again? Because it's not like this is the first crash that, if it does happen, has happened. There was a crash in 2008, and then you go back before that, and there's one in the 80s, and you go back before that, there's there's just crashes over and over and over again. So what would be the idea to to help the younger generations not make the same mistakes that, say, we, we even made? Well, I'm thinking about your statement about the crash in 2008, and there was a market crash. However, it wasn't a complete crash of the monetary system. And the closest thing to that, well, it wouldn't be close to it, but something that's very similar would be taking it back to 1929 with the onset of the Great Depression. And as you guys recall, before the Great Depression, it was the actual Roaring Twenties. And what made the Twenties roar was debt um, expansion. And when it was a collapse in the debt system, you had the depression. So we're at that situation now, except this time we're talking about unprecedented debt levels. We're talking on a crazy scale to where not just the U.S., but the global system is going to come to a halt because the entire system is based on the the dollar. So that's where we are. So schools teach kids to go out and get a job. and as evidenced by just the food stamp usage today, you got 47 million Americans on food stamps, whereas in 2000, it was 17 million. So you're talking an increase of 2.5 times. So that shows you the trend we're in right now. Okay, I mean, that's a, that's a fair statement. So I know one in the previous podcast, which you can listen to on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, or Podbean, you mentioned, um, you know, getting into silver. There's different asset uh, classes you can have. You, you mentioned businesses. You mean real estate and precious metals. Uh, precious metals, you, you reiterate many times in your podcast, being the easiest entry point. So let's just say I'm, I'm into the precious metals and I have a significant amount. What is the real play when the crash happens? How am I going to, say, fence my silver for uh, economic goods because I mean what you don't want if you, for those of you who have ever seen the book of Eli or any this movie with a dystopian future with this lawlessness I mean are, are you saying okay the economic collapse is so great I've got silver but you know I don't want really anybody to know I have silver because I don't want to get jacked for it and there's no way I can really fence it to make myself wealthy like or do I just have to hide it until uh, the, the, the money currency revalues and then I can cash my silver in like what is the play for those who are in silver when the crash happens? Well, I know this is like simplistic as I'll get out, but it really is a matter of surviving. And what that means is 
it's going to be different scenarios for different individuals. Right now you have elites, the elite who are investing like tons of money in underground bunkers to get away from the chaos that you mentioned. But the thing is this, if you don't have purchasing power at all, you're going to be wiped out regardless. So the silver at least gives you a fighting chance. That's that theory. Okay, I mean that's that's a that's a fair theory. Uh, one other thing that we've we've we talked about, we actually talked about this before the show. Um, obviously, silver is something you have put into you know big play. Um, you've mentioned other um, stocks. I know you mentioned marijuana stocks as being something that could pop off. They haven't really popped off. But one of the things that I've been looking at is is Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, for those who are the, for the uninitiated, it's a digital currency, for lack of a better term, that is not managed centrally. It's basically managed by the Bitcoin uh, network of computing. So there's never a list of transactions. It's kind of, I don't want to get in, go nerd land and, and get into it, but basically this, Bitcoin is a digital currency which people can accept for different goods. Do you feel like that is something that could also come into play, say, after a collapse and it comes back and they realize, you know what, we're not going to reissue this paper money. We're going to go to digital currency. Where, where is the value in, say, investing in uh, Bitcoin or any of the other products in the blockchain that Bitcoin uses? Well, absolutely, Frank. Um, it really is a matter of the banks desiring to leave the physical cash system and to transition into a digital system and it's not for the ease of the people it's for their own convenience a digital system prevents a run on banks so that's the the real why now from the perspective of an investor right now bitcoin's about, it's about what 1600 well the projection is about thirteen thousand dollars so from that perspective if you're trying to make a, a profit in the game by all means, it's a wise decision. Sam Bogan of Entertaining Money. You can visit entertainingmoney.com for more information. You can also purchase uh, Entertaining Money apparel on that website. So visit entertainingmoney.com. Sam, you describe, <laughs> you have a, a, a unique way of describing a job. J-O-B, you call it just over broke. And basically what you're telling people is, you know, just like we talked about with the Dame Dash interview, you need to aspire to be an entrepreneur, be your own boss, you know, do more or at least have something on the side. If you're going to work, have some type of investment to where your money is working for you. Uh, you say that you, if you're going to start a business, you should, you know, look and see what the economy is like. So for those that have been thinking about starting their own business or in the process of doing it, what specifically should they be watching? Should they be watching the unemployment rate or the jobs report that comes out every month, quarterly retail sales that we get, what should they be watching specifically in the economy that will let them know, okay, this is a great time to to buy an investment property or to start an own business? What should they be watching? Well, all of those economic metrics essentially uh, tell the tale of the economy. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> that general tale right now is that it's in the pits. So it's like what Dane said about the entrepreneurship and whatnot. There's this huge wave of people wanting to be their own bosses. But I will pose this question. Do you really think that 
the individuals who have immense levels of power and wealth are going to let you enter into that enter into their game and just take it that easily. Not without a fight. <laughs> There you go. So, (laughs) (laughs) no doubt. So it's like when I make the statement about the just over broke right now, you got like the top 20% who own 90% of the wealth. And the striking stat is the bottom 40% actually have an ownership of a negative 0.9%, meaning they're actually indebted. So America if it's not already the case, it's becoming a two-class society of the rich and poor. So if you're an entrepreneur, my question is, who's your market? Who are you trying to sell to? And as a business or prospective business owner, like those are the questions that you have to ask because, I mean, you may have the best ideas and concepts in the world, but if there is no market, you have no business. It's that simple. That's true. Sam Bogan, last time. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I wanted to add, too, it's like in the message we're trying to get across as far as the assets is, yeah, you have business, you have real estate, you have stocks and bonds, and you have precious metals. But the golden question is, pardon the pun, which asset is best? So right now we're approaching the end of this fiat monetary system and historically what happens is your gold and silver revalue and people who actually hold those precious metals realize enormous gains so what i'm saying is there's the expectation of this tremendous wealth transfer from all this paper fake currency into your real biblical tangible money your gold and silver so as the saying goes he who Owns the goal, makes the rules. So, little hint, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I ain't mean to cut you off, man. Uh, I was just going to say, last time we had you on, you mentioned, you know, how saving money, pretty much, if you have your monies in savings, it pretty much is going to lose money over time. And you also preach, I think, a lot about having some type of financial goals. Uh, I read this article uh, pretty much today, actually, and it said the six uh, mistakes that people make with money. And one, one of them was don't have all of your money in savings. And it mentioned exactly what you said, that it loses money over time and that if you don't have some type of financial goals, then how do you know where to invest your money, how much to save, how to have a coherent portfolio? So I just I just wanted to mention that to let the listeners know. Spreader knows what he's talking about. So, you know, follow him on Entertain Money at uh, on Twitter. He's at Entertain Money. Again, visit EntertainingMoney.com on his website. Subscribe to his podcast. Before we get you out of here, what uh, what is the next episode on your Entertaining Money podcast? And why should uh, people tune in? What What's going to be important for them to tune in and listen to? Well, actually, we just completed... Uh, the intro to financial education podcast mm-hmm. and what it's attempting to do is to shake people out of the employee and the job mentality it's like it's so hard because that's their paradigm 
and you're trying to show them like a different world that they're totally oblivious to. And right now, I mean, we're approaching uh, graduation season, but there was a study of uh, jobs in 2013, you know, you had seven in 10 of the jobs requiring less than a bachelor's degree. And for the top jobs in 2015, the top newest jobs, four to five, had wages less than $22,000. And that's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So four of the top five jobs have wages less than $22,000. So, I mean, how can anybody sustain a family off of that wage? You can't. Precisely. So we're in a totally new paradigm to where, hey, man, you have to understand how to have your money grow through assets. It's what the rich do. The rich own the businesses, the financial securities, things of that nature. But the bottom class owns debt. And to be frank, that's a result of the educational system. Going back to the school trains you to be poor again. Huh? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> but the thing is this. Okay. If you look back to, I believe it was 1903 General Education Board, and they admit that they're not looking for lawyers, politicians, things of that nature. They needed factory workers. So <clears throat> a lot of the curricula is based on industrial age values, but we're in information age. I mean, you have computers right now. You have like legions of you know robots ready to take over the you know these these um, menial jobs. So with that being the case, that's our true future to the average person. How are you getting prepared? What are you doing? If not, you're going to be a sitting duck. I mean, like there's no chance. I agree. Hey, um, I just want to tell you, man, we appreciate you making time for us. I love how, you know, you kind of, I don't know how to put it, you you definitely have a, a different way of teaching, you know, finances and, and, and how to invest your money and stuff. And I think it really is a, a great and, and unique way to, to reach people and to get them to think differently, to get them out of the J-O-B mentality, as you put it. And uh, I hope people are really... Uh, Checking you out, and I'm gonna encourage him again. Check him out. Uh, check out his podcast. Very short podcast, by the way. Your typical podcasts are like 30 minutes. I know p- people who listen to our show, we get close to an hour sometimes. You know, Sam gives it to you in like four or five minute snippets. You know, just something that you can check out. So, great information. Visit entertainingmoney.com once again. Sam Bogan, thank you for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank y'all so so much. I want to thank Sam once again for coming on, man. We really appreciate you. Uh, as I mentioned during the interview, and I want to say it again, his unique way of describing and, and, and trying to educate people on finances, the whole J-O-B, um, just over broke. And how I mentioned how I read that article about six mistakes people make with money and how, you know, two of the things that he harps on the most were in there. Let you know that he knows what he's talking about. But, Frank, I know what you want to talk about real quick. That first answer he gave to my question where he pretty much said, hey, we're doomed. There's nothing we can do as far as with, you know, uh, teaching, you know, changing our teaching programs in this country. So what were your thoughts on this interview? 
And what were your thoughts on that answer in particular? I mean, as Sam is as forthright individual as as I've found, uh, he certainly speaks his mind. And I certainly wanted, the reason why I revisited that question is because I want to always show people the way forward. Um, There's a lot of negative things that you see all the time online about this and that. And while there may be issues trying to, you know, get started now with maybe investing, if you're not sure, at least you can open your mind to the idea of what it takes. You may not be able to do a lot or maybe even you may be not able to do enough, but you can at least understand what needs to be done. You can pass that information to the next generation, which is what we really should be focused on. Obviously, you want to focus on yourself as well, but you want to give your children, uh, your nephews, nieces, you know, the younger generation, if you don't have children or, you know, family, friends, you want to be able to give them that information. And I think that Sam has a lot of great information, a lot of education that he knows. But at the same time, there is while, while we talk about all these different crashes, they always came out of them. So then what is the education needed to when the crash comes and you, you survive it? How do you avoid it for the next time? And so that's really what we wanted to focus on. Uh, and I think he did a great job of explaining some of those things. Again, you can go to Entertaining Money and check out his, his website, his podcast for more stuff. But it's it's a deep dive into financial education if you're not under, if you're not understanding things like a house isn't an asset and a job is just over broke. Those things are going to bother you because you've been taught a certain way. So I would recommend reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad to everybody if you haven't read it before just to understand. That will get you open to the financial education uh, mindset you need to have, especially in a time where people are making decisions on high that are going to affect your finances greatly. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to uh, put that on my list and, and check it out. All right, before we get out of here, on the front end, I want to let you know I have not watched this movie. In addition, if you have not watched The the, the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks on HBO, if you have not watched it, we're about to discuss it, so spoiler alert. You may want to skip this portion, come back after you've watched it. Uh, but Henrietta Lacks, born Loretta Pleasant, uh, she there's currently a movie on HBO about her, as I mentioned, is t- entitled... The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And basically, cells were taken from her without her knowledge, and they've been used to develop uh, polio vaccine, in vitro fertilization, cloning. Uh, they're known as the Hella cells. And it sounds great, but her family hasn't received any financial compensation whatsoever, ever. And, uh, you know, she wound up dying of cancer. Uh, her, her daughter didn't even really know her. And uh, the movie, I've heard nothing but great things about it. I've heard the book about her life is even better. And much like Hidden Figures, this is an important person that I feel like we should discuss. And, you know, very little is known about uh, Henrietta. So uh, I wanted to know, have you been able to watch the movie? And how does something like how 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 does something like this happen to where no one has been decent enough to look out for this family that, you know, their mother pretty much, you know, helped revolutionize the world of medicine. As I said with it, you know, uh, the polio vaccine and and you hear all these new stories about how we're able to clone certain things and how they've been able to advance medicine because of the cells that they took from her. How has no one been decent enough to say, you know what, that family is up in Baltimore looking, living poor 
we we should at least give them some type of financial uh, compensation. How does that happen today? And again, have you had a chance to to watch this movie at all? I have not watched the movie. I am familiar with the story though, and and the reason why people would feel comfortable. How, how would you say not compensating the families? Because let's just be real about it. They looked at her as a commodity. She was probably a person that at that time, you know, black women certainly are, are haven't been the most respected women. So it's it's very easy to see how they could overlook getting something like an asset from them. Just the way hidden figures, you know, was they were hidden figures all this time. And, you know, you think all these great things are happening in the space program and you know, these black women are a huge part of it. And you find that out and you find all these vaccines. So it just shows you that how special and I don't. And, and if you're another race, I'm not trying to offend you when I say this, but it shows you how special um, the black races, African-American races. Um, that's really not even a real term, by the way, but we'll go with it because that's what we call ourselves. But it, it shows you how special we are and that we have certain things in us. That have tried to people have tried to suppress for years, but yet we we have certain I get how would you say it, a certain ability to overcome situations, a certain life in us um, because of who we are to be able to make a difference. And I think that that's part of the reason why we've been so fiercely oppressed is because people are people fear not necessarily fear like a riot fear, but they see the power of black people and if you're not comfortable in your spirit you will find you'll do everything you can to try to uh do, do disenfranchise all the things you're seeing has happened yet still we rise so i just think that when you look at her and you think about if that's one story that you know how many other stories do you think happen or have happened that are just like that so it doesn't shock me um a lot of times a lot of things you find out you know I, I encourage people who are Wire fans, even if you're not Wire fans, to watch. There's an interview with Wood Harris where he talks about British actors. And I know it had nothing to do with what we were just talking about. But he talks about how Brit, because British actors, both white and black, know the history of what black people did, the Moors and things like that, and with, with written language, how they live so much more comfortably in life and understanding things than how we exist in this country as black people as slave, white people as slave masters. Not saying that all white people are slave masters, all black people are slaves, but just that mindset that exists that causes that tension. Um, it, it just hasn't been fixed. And I know I got a little bit off topic, but I just said that because it just shows that the lack of respect for the family that they weren't looked at as people that had something that saved many lives they were just looking at it as a commodity that they were, could profit from there was there was there was no remorse there was no empathy towards saying wow this person died but yet their cells live on let's make them compensate them that's that's that mentality that's the racism mentality when we talk about the beginning not the adam jones saying the n-words throwing peanuts and bananas that's just a symptom of ignorance and people saying things that is racism in its core, taking something from somebody that made a difference for everybody, not compensating them at all, not giving them credit. That is what, when you talk about racism, that's what I I, I try to gear towards. So, sorry I kind of took took the stage away from the movie a little bit, but I want to just touch on that. Nah, man, I like what you said, and I and I like the point you brought up that 
you know, if this story is out there that we know about, how many more are out there that we don't know about? And, you know, I mentioned when we had uh, Zaza Ali on that I'm reading, the, I read the new Jim Crow. And, you know, it has a lot of like, you know, singular stories of people that we know about, like Emma Faye Stewart in Texas, uh, who was rounded up in a drug raid. She wasn't even selling drugs, but got caught up in that charge with a felony because they, they kept holding her, trying to get her to plead guilty. And she's, you know, just like uh, Khalif Browder. She's like, no, I'm not I'm not pleading guilty to something I didn't do. But, you know, she has little kids that she has to get home to. So after two weeks, three weeks after a month, she finally said, you know, OK, I'll plead guilty. And they gave her probation and allowed her to go home. But little stories like that, when people, you know, ask why we bring up racism so much, you know, and, and they're tired of us talking about it. Yeah, well, we're tired of living it because that affects real people's lives. And it's not just, you know, the stories you hear about. That's great. That's good. But just know that there are hundreds, if not thousands or more like that. There are probably several other Henrietta Lacks, several other Emma Faye Stewart's out there, several other uh, Khalif Browders out there. So. I hope people don't watch this movie and say, OK, this is a great story. But, you know, that's that that only happened one time. That, that hasn't happened to anybody else. There's plenty of stories like that all over this country dealing with uh, minorities and especially women of color. So check it out. I know I'm going to check it out. I have it on my DVR. I'm going to check it out. Uh, I'm going to toss it to you, Frank. Before I do, I just want to thank everybody for continuing to stick with us, listen to us. Uh, we always ask you, please tell a friend about us, get them to subscribe, check us out, follow us on social media. We're everywhere from Facebook, Instagram to Twitter, as well as YouTube. So check us out. And as always, thank you for listening. We want to thank again, reiterate virus. We want to thank all the new listeners. We hope you come back and listen again. All our repeat listeners. Thank you again. Continue to tell, continue to share the show with everybody. Uh, we just want to stay, you know, we're, we're, we want to we want to just let you know there's a lot going on in this country. We want you to, you know, stay positive, stay prayerful, stay active, stay woke, so to speak, and understand who's voting, how people are voting for what, so that when midterms come up, you know who to hold accountable. Vote Spotter, the app, Countable, the app, download those, check on your representatives. I'll tell a quick story. I actually emailed my representative about Steve Bannon. He did respond to me and he did say that he was actually looking into legislation. And I know Steve Bannon is no longer in the, um, the, the position he was in, but I'm saying that your your um, constituent, you're, they will respond to you as a constituent, your representative. So definitely contact them. And uh, one other thing, the raise, even though if you happened a few weeks ago, the raise the age did pass in New York. So now there will be no more Khalif Browders. Um, so that that's something else that's important that I was involved in. That's not saying I very did anything. Good. I didn't do anything other than I, you know, sent out tweets and I signed petitions. But but, but the point is, be involved in the process. Understand what's going on. You can make a difference just by signing a petition, understanding what's going on. So just want to encourage you to stay active, pay attention to what is happening around you, and and understand that you can make a difference. And we just want to thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.